We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Mark chapter 3, I want to ask you the question, who is on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? Do you remember on the playground when you were little? How did you, how did you choose side? Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. Did some of y'all do that? We did. I don't know. There's other ways. I guess rock, paper, scissors. You chose some sides sometimes, different ways. But I want to ask you the question, who is on the Lord's side? And, and by the way, this Christmas time, as I mentioned a while ago, is a time to love. Man, it is a time to share the love of Christ, to be excited about what God's done. It is, it is to see the face of a child and to see the joy that that child just looks up and they see people happy. And uh, they may not understand it yet. You're going to tell them. But please, I love to see the children. It's so good to see children here. You bring them. Oh, my goodness. I think some of the strongest rebuke Jesus ever made was when the disciples said that little children were were crowding around him. And you want us to stop that? He said, you let those little children come. And he kind of straightened the apostles out a little bit. I thought about back in my life, though, um, there are five children in, in my family. The other three, there's a five-year gap. So sister, brother, sister. Then I came along five years later, and I had it pretty good, you know, because I was a new baby, and they kind of spoiled me a little bit, and it was working out till, uh, pretty well until 21 months later, another baby came. You know how that happens? Uh, and my little brother came on the scene. And uh, they tell me that one Christmas, uh, I, I took my little baby brother and I wrapped him in wrapping paper for a present, a Christmas gift. And I wrapped him up to give him away. It made its way into the newspaper. And uh, Dean, if you're listening by, by uh, the computer tonight here, uh, I'm still waiting on somebody to respond to come take you as a Christmas gift. Nobody came and took him, but I, I kind of wanted this little guy out of the way because he kind of messed with the deal that I had. In 1877, there was a song written with these words. Who is on the Lord's side? Who will serve the king? Who will be his helpers? Other, others' lives to bring. Who will leave the world's side? Who will face the foe? Who is on the Lord's side? Who for him will go? By thy call of mercy... By thy grace divine, we are on the Lord's side. Savior, we are thine. In this passage, Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, we're going to see who's on the Lord's side. There's four different groups of people. The disciples, those were learners, followers of Jesus. The crowd, we'll see who is in the crowd, different people. There are going to be demons in this passage. We'll see what they say about what side God is on. And then we see the calling of the apostles. I remember when I was young, I would hear disciples and apostles, and I would think, are they the same? What's different about them? And this passage shows us what is different about them. I want to ask you, how many of you have read the book by Henry Blackaby, Experiencing God? Would you raise your hand if you have read that? Experiencing God. It's a great book. Um, I had two different pastors that don't even know each other when I shared some things about my life. And as before I'd read that book, and they said, have you ever read that book? That's your life story. Now, when you have two different people that don't know each other at different times tell you that's your life story, you need to get that book. Would you agree? In that book, one of the things that, that uh, Henry Blackaby states is that a lot of times we think in our world, the, the circumstances revolve around us. 
We think our ministry, our life, what's going on. And he made it clear in that book that that's not the way the church is. The church is that God is about his business and he invites us to join his ministry. You find the work of God, if you remember that book, and you go and join it. The, the, the natural human nature is, God, would you come help me? Would you come be on my side? I remember praying in football games, basketball games, baseball games, and we would still pray before those, those events. Uh, Pastor Clark, did you pray before your football games when you were in school? You did, didn't you? Uh, prayed maybe the Lord's Prayer. We prayed other prayers too. And I remember, you know, we prayed, oh, let there be good sportsmanship and let's no, let nobody get hurt. But what we were really praying deep down was, Lord, let us smash that other team. Let us win. Would you be on our side? How many of you grew up here in Texas with the knowledge to know that Texas Stadium had a hole in the ceiling so God could see his favorite team? Y'all know that's why they built that that way, right? I'd mentioned that before. Some of you are not from Texas are, are saying, oh, I can't believe that. But that's the way we are. We want God to be on our side, don't we? We want him to be on our side because good things happen where God's at. Let's see what this passage can answer with that question, who is on the Lord's side? Verse one, I mean, verse seven. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. Now, before I go any further, there's 11 times in this book of Mark that the scripture stops and says, Jesus went away. He went up on a mountain to pray. He got away to go pray to his father. He got away from the crowds. He withdrew 11 different times. I want to ask you, do you have a place where you can do that also? You and I need a place where we can go where it's quiet. It may be just a closet in your home. It could be a ranch that your family owns. It could be a beautiful place at a park where you go out and you're all by yourself. But we also need to do what Jesus did. From time to time, we need to get away. Uh, you guys that are going through school, does it get a little stressful and head, uh, a headache sometimes? You need to get away. Be quiet and restful and pray and listen for God to work in your life. Well, Jesus himself did that, and this is on one of those 11 occasions. He went to the sea, if you remember, the Sea of Galilee, where much of the ministry of Christ was done. He, he spent a lot of time in Capernaum, up north of the Sea of Galilee there. He called it like a home base for his disciples. So he is there, it says, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. As I told you before, growing up in church from the time I was six years old, I would hear the name disciples and I would thought, well, that's the 12 disciples. And then this other word would show up and it was called apostles. And I thought, oh, that's the same thing. But it's not. A disciple, as you probably know very well, is a learner. It's a follower. So there were many disciples of, of people that followed Jesus at this time. You and I are disciples of Christ. And we'll make the distinction here in a few moments. So Jesus has withdrawn himself. Some of the disciples are there with him. He's gotten to the sea again where he was at. And it says, and a great multitude from Galilee followed and also from Judea and from Jerusalem and from Idumea. Now I think Mark records these different cities in these different regions for a reason. He's going to tell us, first of all, there's a lot of people from Galilee. 
Now, there were Jews in Galilee, but mostly he's talking about those are Gentiles. And remember, in the first part of the Gospels, Jesus is sent to the Gentiles. He has a woman crying out to him, Master, have mercy on me. He doesn't even listen to her at first. She keeps crying out, Master, have mercy on me. And and Jesus said, it's not right to take the children's meat and give it to dogs. That's what a Gentile was thought of as a Jew. And that woman, instead of being offended, instead of demanding her rights, she said one of the greatest statements I think is ever recorded in the scripture. Yes, master. He just called her a dog. And she said, yes, master. But the dogs love to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And you know what? That, that stopped Jesus. He said, I tell you, I have not seen faith in all Israel like I've seen in that woman. When I get to heaven, I want to go find her, put my arms around her and tell her that that story inspired me a lot. Gentiles. So the Galilee, that region was a lot of Gentiles and also from Judea and Jerusalem. Now that would be mostly Jews there that have come from that, that area. So we're going to see again, as a lot of times Jesus did miracles, feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, Jew and Gentile. In this case, Jews and Gentiles are coming from Idumea. That's a name given by the Greeks to the land of Edom. You remember Edom? Edom is Esau, Esau's line. And Mount Seir is there. That originally extended all the way down to the Dead Sea to uh, the Atlantic Gulf, E-L-A-N-I-T-I-C. I knew it was going to sound like Atlantic. It's not Atlantic. It's Atlantic Gulf of the Red Sea. And it's a territory that includes about 100 miles long, 15 or 20 miles wide. So when it says a great multitude came, it's not like a 20 or 30 people. This is a crowd of people that have gathered to, to listen and to see, and mainly for another purpose. It said also beyond Jordan and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is, is mentioned many times in the gospel. Uh, they're port cities located in modern Lebanon. If you looked on a map today, it's on the Mediterranean coast. Sidon is believed to have been in existence from 2000 BC. That's a long time ago, isn't it? 4,000 year old city there. And along with uh, Tyre being just a little bit younger. The Old Testament uh, mentions Israel's dealings with, with these cities. And mainly it mentions that when Joshua was leading the people into the promised land, these are some of the cities they failed to conquer. These are cities of Gentiles again. And Joshua and the children of Israel were supposed to drive all those people out of the land, but they didn't get it done. So Tyre and Sidon is, uh, is important cities in the text. And it says, it's already called them a multitude, and now it says, a great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. So here I, wanna, I want us to deal with our question, who is on the Lord's side? Well, it looks like we've got Jesus. We know he's on the right side. We've got the disciples. We sure hope they're on the right side. They're following Jesus for the, for the right reason. And now we see a great multitude in this verse, a great number of people. I mean, a crowd is gathering. I truly believe that it is the Holy Spirit that draws people to church. Now, you can get somebody to fill seats. You can get somebody to fill seats in a church building, auditorium, 
But I truly believe it's the Holy Spirit that draws people to church for the right reason. Um, People that are in church because a person brought them can easily leave that church because a person offends them. But people that are drawn to a church and that's their church because God put them there, it's hard to get those people out, you know it? Because they didn't get there because of of a person. They got there because of God. So here's a great number of people. And it says they came when they heard all that he was doing. Now, what what are they talking about? They're talking about a blind man that now is able to see a miracle from God that nobody else, nobody could do that. This man must be from God. A man with a withered hand that we looked at last week. And we talked about the Pharisees had a withered heart. But now that man's hand became whole again, right in front of that whole crowd. And that word spread. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have television. But that word spread throughout the countryside. How many of you, if you had someone that was infirm, disabled somehow, with, with, that were crippled, how many of you, if you had heard that message, hey, there's somebody down here we've heard about, and all of a sudden these cripples are getting well and, and he is healing people, wouldn't you do everything you could? Certainly, we would do everything we could to bring our loved one close to Jesus. You remember those four that tore the roof off we looked at? They did, they did something drastic to get their friend close to Jesus. I just want to ask you to look around your neighborhood. Look around your family. And I know family's some of the hardest people to minister to. Would you agree? It's easier to minister to a stranger sometime than it is our own family. But this Christmas... Why not ask God, would you use me? Would you use our family to make a difference in somebody else's life? A great number of people heard all that he was doing and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd so that they would not crowd him. For he had healed many with the result that all those who had affliction pressed around him in order to touch him. I could just picture that. One of the most beautiful stories in all the scripture, the crowds are, the one version says they're thronging Jesus. I mean, it's six flags on a hot day. They're in line, they're pushing into him, everybody's crowding, bumping into him. And that's the time that that lady who'd been sick for many years said, if I can press through the crowd, what? The hem of his garment. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, just the border of his, of his coat. I'll be well. She presses through that crowd and everybody's bumping into Jesus and so quietly she reaches up and God lets her touch the border of the garment of the Son of God. And the Bible says, Jesus, stop. And he turned to his disciples and he said, who touched me? And they say, Master, don't you realize there are people all around you. We're bumping into each other. There's a crowd. What do you mean who touched me? He said, no, who touched me? Because that touch was different than the rest of the crowd. So I want to ask you, who is on the Lord's side? Are these disciples with Jesus? We sure hope so. Are these people, the crowd that is coming from Jew and Gentile regions around, are they on the Lord's side? Because so far all we see, they're coming because of what Jesus can do for them. I want to ask you in your life, have you ever known someone that Uh, when you can do something for them, you're real important to them. But if you you don't have the capacity to do something for them, 
you're not quite as important. I used to say, man, when I have something, I'm thinking of a certain person. Uh, when I had something he needed, I was his best buddy. And when I didn't have something he needed, I was invisible. He would walk right by me, not even notice me. But if he needed something, I was his long lost buddy, friend, pal. Well, they're crowding around Jesus. They're coming to him. And I don't have any qualms with that. But I want to ask you the question, are they on the Lord's side? Or are they just seeking something that this miracle worker can do for them? On the one hand, this response looks good. They're coming close to Jesus. And it looks like good people that are coming. But the reason that they come to Jesus is very important. There's some people that try to make a deal with God when they get sick, when their child gets sick. They haven't gone to church. They haven't studied the Bible. They've not yielded to the Lord. But now they're in crisis and they cry out, God, I'll make a deal with you. I'll make a deal with you. If you'll heal my child or if you'll give me this job or if you'll do this, I will do this for you. Be careful of making deals because we can try to make a deal with God that we can't keep. These people are coming to Jesus because of what he can do for them physically. If it was just a miracle that we needed, the church today would be seeing miracles every Sunday that we come together. Tommy says, miracles are, he talked about this morning, they are signs that are miraculous, that are unusual. He says from time to time, if they happened all the time, they'd be called normicals. They're miracles because they're unusual signs But we can miss the point of those signs. The signs are not the end in themselves. The signs were always to point you to Jesus. They were always to point you to the word of God. They were always to point you to a relationship with Christ. It's not the miracle. Wow, that's wonderful if God chooses to do a miracle. But he wants to do the miracle spiritually in our lives. I've known a time in my life that I've shared with you before when my physical heart was hurting. It was in pain and I wasn't sure I was going to live over it. At the same time, by God's grace, not because I'm a good guy, because I'm not except for Christ, but at the same time, my spiritual heart was at perfect peace. I can't describe to you how that can be, but I tell you the work and the miracle that God does spiritually is a lot more important than this one that can happen physically that only lasts for a little while. Those four people that I just read as we started, they love Jesus. They're home. Do you think Charlie Cole would come back and say, Mike, I tell you what, I just want you to pray for me that my knees work better and my back works better and my heart's better now? No, Charlie's home. Uh, He's probably gotten a tour of heaven. He he has probably laughed. He, He was in a class with us on Sunday mornings and my wife who I believe is a very attractive young lady. She wears nice clothes, but she wore to church some of those jeans like you ladies wear and, and guys do too that have cuts in them so they had holes in them. And Charlie came up to her and said, I knew you were a religious woman. You wear those holy pants. And so every time that Holly came into Charlie's presence, he said, you got your holy pants on. And he just laughed and thought that was so funny. Well, Charlie, if God lets you listen, she's got those holy pants on probably today. And every time she wears those, she's going to remember sweet Charlie Cole. But Charlie Cole would not trade what he has right now. And those other three would not trade what they have right now for a physical miracle. 
Should we ask for spiritual miracles? I believe. You don't have because you don't ask. Ask to, to all the way to the end. But when God's answer is not now, not best, we pray like Jesus did. When I was in Israel in 2011, um, the man that led the trip said, I want to ask you, where do you want to speak? Where do you want to teach a devotion? And I got to at the, what they believe is the upper room. I got to at different places. But I said, I want to I teach a short devotion in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I, I read the passage where God told his son Jesus, no. You have a child, a grandchild, do you ever have to tell them no? You do, don't you? For their good, for their safety. Well, this was a passage where Jesus said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus knew what the cross of Calvary would feel like. You and I don't know that. We don't have that capacity to know ahead. He did. And he said, oh, Father, let this cup pass from me. But if the only way that it'll pass is I drink it, not my will, but your will be done. Father, would you let this cup pass? And God the Father said, no, I'm not going to do it. So in our lives, when you pray about something and God says no, you look for something good because he's got something better after the no. One of you need to write a book, After the No, because God's got something better if we'll trust him. So here he says, guys, I want you to have a boat ready. This crowd's getting big. They're pressing on me. And I want you to have a boat ready so I can get out in the boat. Jesus spoke often like that. If you've been out on the water before, you know that, that your voice carries. It's an amazing pl uh, place there in Israel where Jesus spoke on the Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of like a, uh, a natural amphitheater. Your voice can carry. You can speak and they can hear it for a, a long ways away. Certainly on the water in a boat. But he was saying this because if the crowd gets too much, I need to get away from them. Have a boat ready. Celebrities are often bombarded. I remember sitting at home one, one night several, several years ago and the news broke in on whatever program I was watching and they said Princess Di has been involved. The paparazzi were chasing them and she is, they've had a wreck in a tunnel and Princess Di is dead. Celebrities uh, I've never had that problem. I don't have crowds following around me. They don't want to get my autograph. Uh, they don't want to be that close to me. But, but famous people, can you imagine what that would be like? Everywhere they go. Uh, I was eating in the little restaurant where my wife works in the same shopping center in the other end, great Mexican food place. And I walk, uh, walked in and there's Terry Bradshaw over there. Terry Bradshaw, the football player, you know, that... Kind of won a few games, didn't he, Calvin? <laughs> and uh, he's a big guy. I didn't realize he was that big. And all the waitresses were taking pictures with him, and I noticed how gracious he was. He was kind to everyone. But I thought, I bet he can't even go to any place without somebody coming up to him, talking to him, wanting a picture, wanting an autograph. It'd be a kind of a tough life. So we see so far the disciples are there with Jesus. We see a great multitude that has Jews and Gentiles. And I ask you the question, who's on the Lord's side? Well, many of them probably just came for a physical miracle. But you know what? God may be using that physical miracle to draw them to a relationship to him. 
So we don't know, but I believe there were some on the Lord's side in that group. And now we come to verse 11. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, you mean, wait a minute, you mean the unclean spirits were in the same crowd as disciples of Jesus and people who were wanting miracles, healing? Yeah. Do you know what the New Testament tells us where some of Satan's crew is? We think they're, you know, there's some chained down there already in the book of Jude. They're already in waiting judgment. There's some walking to and fro throughout the earth. You know where the Bible in the New Testament says many of them are? In church. Now, before you say, yeah, I think I know some of them. <laughs> Don't point at anybody. Don't point at anybody. Uh, the ministers of righteousness is what a demon wants to look like. The enemy doesn't walk into a church with a uh, tail, red, red suit, horns, pitchfork. No, he comes in disguised as ministers of righteousness. He wants to look like the good guys. So we've got to realize that the enemy can be in church. That's why your faith, I want to tell you something. I wonder if you've ever heard it before. Probably have. Can you find me any verse in the Bible that tells you to trust another person or that they should trust you? Anybody know? In your 2-7 group, did y'all memorize any verse that says, thou shalt trust your brother or sister, your mom or dad? In fact, it says, don't trust any other person. Let your trust be in God alone. Now, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't trust you in business and I shouldn't trust you if I ask you something, you know, I'm, I'm going to trust what he says because he's my friend. I know that he's going to tell me the truth. But we don't put our trust, our confidence in another human. Why is that? Because we fail each other. We are fallible. We mess up. I had never realized that until a few years ago. God never commands us to trust one another. He says, trust God. Love one another. But trust God because he is infallible. Well, now it says the unclean spirits saw him and they would, I want you to notice, they didn't bow up to the son of God. Some people act like in uh, some of the false heresies that began in the early part of the church that Satan and, and God are in a tug of war and God pulls a little bit and then Satan pulls a little bit like they're equals. Satan cannot do anything without permission from God Almighty. Satan is an angel that has fallen because he rebelled against God. We give Satan too much credit, too much power. And when these demons saw Jesus Christ, they would fall down before him and shout, you are the son of God. James chapter two, verse 19 says, the demons believe and tremble. Oftentimes they would say, Lord, have you come to torment us before the time? Because they know they're headed toward torment, judgment from almighty God. It's interesting, Jesus would not let them go around saying he's the son of God. Tommy said some things about that this morning. I didn't realize he was going to do that. It is not up to the enemy and demons to proclaim who Jesus is. It's up to us, the church. The demons have no right to talk well about the son of God. They know the truth. They know he's God. They're afraid of him because he's going to be the judgment you know, Jesus came back a probably a five-foot-something tall man. When he comes back, he's coming back as an executor of the wrath of Almighty God. Those demons know it, and they're headed toward that. Can you imagine, though, 
Somebody standing at the great white throne judgment. These are people that don't know Christ. They never believed in the Lord. They, they rejected him. And the books are open and all their deeds are, are mentioned, all the words they said, all the thoughts they had that were evil. They're all recorded. And they find out that the demons believed more in God than they did. Would that be an amazing thing? The demons believe more in God than you did because they know who Jesus is. So who's on the Lord's side? We know for a fact these guys aren't, would you agree? They're certainly not for God. Satan has one game plan to steal, kill, and destroy. He is against God. He can't harm God, but he tries to harm God's what? Creation. That's why he's after us all the time. So it says that he earnestly warned them, Jesus told them, do not tell who he was. First of all, number one is it's not time for Jesus to be revealed. All through the Gospel of John, that shows up. It's not time. It's not time. If you watch the Chronicles of Narnia, you remember Aslan all throughout that movie was the leader. He was powerful until what? He realized the only way to redeem his people and save his people was to give his own life. They couldn't harm him until he lowered the, the, the force shield until he gave his life. Well, that's the way Jesus is. No one could harm him. They couldn't arrest him. They couldn't kill him because his time was not yet. And it was not until Jesus himself lowered that force shield of his deity and let them hit him in the face. Pull his beard, as Isaiah says. His face was cut up and marred Isaiah 51, I believe, more than any other man. If you've watched any of those Hollywood movies and you've got a little bit of blood coming down here, that's not the way it was. He was pulverized. He had lacerations, perforations. He was whipped with a Roman scourge that would literally grab the flesh and rip it off a human's body. Crucifixion was the most hideous form of capital punishment that, that there was. But it could not happen till Jesus until it was time. And then secondly, uh, it wasn't going to be the demons who proclaimed who Jesus was. It was going to be the church. And that's what we should be doing. So who's on the Lord's side? Jesus is. His disciples are. Some in the crowd probably were. Some of them just came for a miracle. Remember 10 lepers? They came to Jesus. Jesus told them to go wash, and as they obeyed the Son of God's word, they were all healed, and only one of them turned around to fall down at Jesus' feet and say, thank you. Do you remember which one it was? It wasn't a Jew. It was a Samaritan. The least likely, because the Jews rejected Jesus. We don't know if those guys stayed healed. We don't know. So some in the crowd may be on the Lord's side. Some maybe not. They just wanted a miracle. And then we come to verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. I love that. Your version might say it a little bit differently, but it says, he called together those that he wanted. He is about to choose apostles. Now, apostle is different from a disciple. You and I are all disciples. We're not apostles. Apostles are authorized representatives. They are messengers. Uh, the, the apostles had supernatural gifts given to them 
to prove the word of God was real and true. They, G, Peter and John came to the temple that day and a man was, was lame there and he asked for alms. And Remember what Peter said? Silver and gold have I none. That kind of flies in the face of the prosperity gospel. If you believe the way you're supposed to, you're going to have plenty of cash. Well, Peter didn't. He came to the temple and he said, I don't have any silver or gold to give you, but what I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Immediately that man gets up, his bones are made well and strong. He jumps and leaps and praises God and the crowd comes and they're saying, Peter, you're a God. You're one of the Greek gods. And Peter straightly told them, do not think there's any power in me that's made this man whole today. The power is in the name of Jesus. Jesus made this man whole and in his name, this miracle was done. Oh, I love that. Jesus called some that he wanted and they came to him. The ones Jesus calls and chooses will come to him. And he appointed 12. Uh, many commentators ask the question, why 12? Well, there are 12 disciples. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And we get a clue that that's probably part of it because in Matthew 19, 28, he told those apostles, you also will sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That's why there needed to be 12 apostles. When Judas fell away from the apostleship in the book of Acts, Matthias was chosen to replace him. There's not 13 apostles in the same way. Paul later became an apostle and one verse in the book of Acts says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul, so Barnabas was included in that group, but there was originally 12 and just a few other ones that were apostles. Are there apostles today? I don't believe so at all. These apostles had supernatural gifts to do supernatural signs and wonders. I believe the apostle Paul probably had all of the gifts, uh, very possibly. Maybe not, but very possibly. They had special revelation from God. Uh, has God knocked on your door and said, I want you to write some of my Bible for me? <laughs> I haven't ever gotten that visit. Well, these apostles did, and they were used greatly. And it says in verse 16, he appointed the 12. And here he names them. I'll read through them quickly. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee. John, the brother of James. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. We could go into all of those people's lives, those apostles there, and look at everything the scripture says about them. We don't have time to do that tonight, but I want to just remind you of a few things. These people, these 12, walked with Jesus for three years and learned his doctrine. The Bible says they were all scattered when Jesus was arrested and crucified. The only one standing at the foot of the cross was the apostle John with the, the mother of Jesus. They all saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. They received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost and Peter wasn't afraid after Pentecost when he received the power of the Holy Spirit to become a witness. Many of them wrote parts of the Bible. They became a foundation for the churches as the scripture says, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They were allowed to do supernatural miracles and wonders until the Bible was written and those miracles always pointed to the Bible. There have been four times throughout history that God did many, many miracles at one time. 
He did it in Moses' time to point to the law. He did it in Elijah and Elisha's time, the prophets, to point to God, thus saith the Lord. He did it in Jesus and the apostles' times to point to the Bible. Peter later on says, we have seen him, we've heard him, John, we've handled the word of life, but you people have a more sure word of prophecy. He's talking about the word, the Bible you have in your lap, in your hands. Pay attention to that. You don't have to see a miracle. You don't have to be with Jesus. We've got to be careful. Well, they're better because they got to walk with Jesus. Uh, You've been baptized in the Jordan River, so you must be closer to heaven. Being baptized in the Jordan River doesn't make you a better Christian than anybody else. These 12 led the churches in the early part of the church. They became witnesses for Jesus. The Bible says these 12 turned the world upside down. Isn't that a great phrase? They turned the world upside down. These 12 followed Jesus to the end of their lives. They never recounted their testimonies. They didn't say, oh, this was a hoax. We were just doing it so we could write a book and get famous. Because all 12 of them suffered greatly for their stance following Jesus Christ. They all, except John, died cruel deaths. Some upside down on a cross, some on an X-shaped cross. Uh, Some were beheaded. Uh, When we think about John, well, John just died of old age. Don't forget that John the apostle was boiled in oil. They tried to kill him. God just didn't let him die. So these men followed Jesus to the end, never recounted their stories, and they gave their lives for this one named Jesus. And they will sit on those 12 thrones. So in this passage, who's on the Lord's side? Jesus and the disciples some of the crowd, some of the crowd came forward and didn't want just a miracle. They wanted Jesus. The demons sure weren't on his side. And these apostles were on the Lord's side. I want to end tonight with something that really hit me hard. During this election time, during uh, our country that seems to be so divided, my goodness, we as humans can divide over everything. We can divide over the smallest things, any difference that we have. Let me just give you something to study in the scripture. We should, listen please closely, it's only one of the few times I'll say this tonight. We should never divide over the differences that God made. Any way we're different and God made us that way, there should be no division. We should never divide over our traditions. Well, we stand up and sing three songs. We sit down and do this, and that's the way it ought to be because we've always done it that way. Well, our brothers and sisters in Kenya don't sing the same way we do. We should never divide over preferences. Well, I like this instrument, and I like this instrument, and I like this preacher, and I like that preacher, and I like with the lights down, I like with the lights up, and preferences. We should never divide over preferences. There should be one division And that's the division the Holy Spirit makes between believer and unbeliever. The only division we should have in our world is one we don't make between believer and unbeliever and praying that everybody else would come to know the Lord. So I ask you the question again, who's on the Lord's side? To close, I want to ask you to look at one place in Joshua, the fifth chapter. This is so important, I believe. Joshua chapter five, so important. I'm talking to myself here. 
Abraham Lincoln said this when he was asked, uh, do you ask God uh, to be on your side? Did Abraham Lincoln know what division was in our country? He did, didn't he? Did he pray? He did. And they asked him, do you ask God to be on your side? And Abraham Lincoln said this, sir, my concern is not whether God is on our side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. You want to see something great? Here it is, Joshua 5, verse 13. Now, it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. Now, why is he by Jericho? Because they are going into the promised land. God has already told them, I'm gonna, uh, nobody will be able to stand before you. You're going to drive out all these people of the land. And he's standing right before Jericho, about to take that city. And it says that he lifted up his eyes, Joshua lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite with his sword drawn in his hand. There are times in the scripture where an angel of God is standing there with a flaming sword sometimes. And that's not Mardell, Mardell angels. You can go to Mardell and see little fat baby cherubs and beautiful women with wings. There's never those pictures in the Bible of an angel. Did you know that? Every time an angel showed up in the scripture, they were mighty warriors and humans fell down afraid of them. And so Joshua, about to go into Jericho, saw this man standing opposite him. He's standing in, in his way and he has his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him, and I think that's something, he was courageous enough to do that, and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? If you didn't know what that, that angel of God or possibly a theophany of God himself uh, showing up, if we didn't know what it said next, we would think Joshua's doing God's will. He's the general Joshua. He is leading the Israelites. They're going into the promised land. They're going to drive out the, the cities. He's doing what God wants him to do. Sure, God's going to be on his side. And when Joshua said, are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, no. You know what that literally means? Neither one. We shouldn't be asking if God is on our side. Because look what this angel said. Rather I indeed come now as captain of the Lord, the host of the Lord. <clears throat> Joshua fell on his face to the earth, bowed down, said to him, what has my Lord said to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. When the person of God, the instrument of God showed up and Joshua said, are you on my side? I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm leading the people in the promised land. Are you on my side? That angel said no. It's not about being on your side or the enemy's side. I'm on God's side. And I believe this passage that we read tonight, Mark is saying, who's on the Lord's side? We gotta be on his side. Don't ask him to come join you. Ask God for the ability to come join him. And if you have to take your shoes off because you're on holy ground, take your shoes off. Oh, man. Not Republican, Democrat, Independent. It's not uh, black, white, brown, red, yellow. It's not affluent and poverty level. It is not all the divisions that we've made, the city and the country. It's not all those divisions. 
We don't ask God, come be on our side. We need to ask, Lord, am I on your side? Let's pray. Father, we bow before you, thanking you as Mark and his team comes forward to close our service. We thank you, Lord, that these people we read about tonight, many of them, Lord, were doing what you wanted them to do. They were coming to Jesus and they, they trusted in him and they followed him. They were disciples and then those apostles that you called. Oh, Lord, thank you for that. I pray that many of those that got healing that day got healing spiritually also and got their sins forgiven. And maybe us here tonight, Lord, if we ask the question, who's on the Lord's side? We've had it backwards. We've been asking you to be on our side, work our life out, be with our family, be with our job and our school and be with us. God, show up and fight for us. And we see in your Bible that that's not the way it is. Are you for us or for our adversary? Neither one. I'm for the Lord. So Lord, here tonight, there may be somebody that needs to rededicate their life or start over or maybe saved for the very first time. They've never really trusted in you. Maybe they've made a deal with you. I'll go to church if you'll do this. Help them to realize the deal's already been done. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, buried in the grave, and God raised him from the dead, the deal was done. And all we have to do is say yes. I thank you, Father, for this lesson in your Bible tonight. Who is on the Lord's side? Oh, Lord, may we all be. In Jesus' name.